Father, we pray that your spirit would renew our hearts and transform our minds using your word, that we would uh, look deeply into your character and the provision of salvation that's offered to us in the gospel of Christ, your son, that we would look at Christ himself and that we would be, uh, by your mercy and grace, transformed into his likeness as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thanks be to God. So as we've seen uh, before uh, in, in lots of sermons, but maybe even particularly last, uh, last week as we looked at this text, the Christian thinks pretty differently about morality, about behavior. It's not just some abstract set of rules for us, uh, uh, the way you conduct yourself, um, it has to do with relationships. It has to do with community, right? We think differently about morality and behavior than the rest of the world does. We think there are deep reasons why we should live in such a way, right? Uh, before the face of God and in relationship with him and with each other. We think there are deep reasons for him giving us uh, things like the Ten Commandments, the, the law of love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, as we heard in the uh, Old Testament reading from Leviticus 19. Um, it's not just enough to say something like, you know, don't steal because that's objectively bad. Everybody knows that that's bad, right? Don't steal. Um, so just stop. It's, it's filled out by the positive instruction. It's kind of counterbalanced or, or filled out <clears throat> by uh, what you're supposed to do, which is live and work for the sake of other people. Right? Uh, it's not as simple as saying, you know, getting angry is always bad, so just never get angry. Right? It's not as simple as that. Um, it's more complicated. Sometimes anger is good. Sometimes anger is bad. Either way, uh, when you're stewing in it for a long time, it has a bad effect. Right? Um, but you're supposed to get angry. You're actually supposed to get angry for the right reasons, and it's supposed to have some effects in your relationships. So the root, the, the heart that ties all these things together, you know, last week we looked at the way that we uh, speak with one another, the way that we engage in reality and speak the truth and speak in ways that are gracious to build one another up uh, in grace. And, uh, and here with the, the commands that we're looking at this morning about stealing and anger, the heart that ties all these things together is love, right? It really is uh, love, self-gift. We were made in God's image for that. We were made in God's image not just to receive love, but to give it. To give love, to give ourselves to the other, to serve the other. 
That's what our life is supposed to be about. But in our sin, this is distorted, right? This is warped. Um, Augustine um, is probably the first one to use this phrase in Latin. It's in curvatus in se. We're curved inward on ourselves, right? Um, Luther picks that up a lot in his writings, but um, it's, a, it's a great picture of what sin is. It's we're ma- made to love. We're made to give our lives to the other, but instead everything is just warped and curved inward, right? It's like a black hole um, where there's just an inescapable gravity inside of us. Life lived for the sake of the self, the self-centered self, right? So we're self-absorbed when we're meant to be uh, living for others. We're meant to imitate God in our love, but we're devoted, we've devoted ourselves to ourselves, that's what uh, sin is. And so if we're going to reconnect to true humanity, to the, the real purpose for our lives, the, the nature that we were originally created with, and the nature that we're uh, destined to have uh, once again in the new heavens and the new earth, if we're going to reconnect to that true humanity, we need something big to happen. We need a salvation. We need a, a transformation away from this broken version um, of humanity that we're living. So... Um, you know, I was reading a book by Mike Reeves uh, this week called Rejoicing in Christ, and he, you know, he's got a lot of, he, he wrote the book uh, Delighting in the Trinity, which I think a lot of us uh, enjoyed reading uh, maybe a couple years ago, and uh, his, his kind of follow-up to that, Rejoicing in Christ, good little book, uh, there's something in every chapter, it's like, wow, I never thought about that before, but he talks about the story of um, Manoah, who... Uh, if you don't know your Bible trivia very well, Judges 13, Manoah is Samson's father. So Manoah and his wife are uh, visited by the angel of the Lord. Right? They're visited by the angel of the Lord. And anytime you see that uh, particular designation in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, it's probably God himself. It's probably actually the son of God himself before he became uh, also a human, right? The one who reveals God to us came into the world, and he's known as the angel of the Lord, and he's like a man, he's like a man from God, but he's also God. And um, other angels, you know, they share their names with people, you know, when they visit people in the scriptures, hi, I'm Michael, Uh, here, let me help you up off the floor, or uh, hi, I'm Gabriel, you know, don't be afraid. Um, This angel, the angel of the Lord, when he comes uh, to visit, uh, he doesn't share his name. He says, why do you ask what my name is, seeing that it's wonderful? Uh, which makes you think of Isaiah, right? His name shall be called Wonderful. Um, so this angel visits, uh, first uh, Manoah's wife, who doesn't receive a name in the text, uh, but then uh, she, tells, she tells Manoah, hey, this angel, the angel of the Lord, a man from God, uh, who looked like, uh, like a man, but he was more than that, obviously, uh, came to me and visited me and told me that even though I'm barren, I'm going to have a child. And we have to follow these certain rules about this child. And, uh, and Manoah's like, what? Okay, so, so they pray, and they say, please send that man from God again to talk to us again. And Manoah meets uh, him <clears throat> and hears from him again. And at the end of that uh, encounter, at the end of the encounter, Manoah wants to um, prepare a meal for him, and the angel of the Lord says, I'm not going to eat that meal, but offer it to God if you want, right? Make a, make a burnt offering to God. And so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, and he offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. 
Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. So who is this angel of the Lord? Is he God? Or is he a man of God? He seems to be both. And what does it mean that he went up in the flame of the altar? You know, it's, it's probably not just some kind of magic portal like God travels around instantly by finding these special places that he, oh, look, there's a fire on an altar. I'll go up to heaven in that, <laughs> you know, uh, like some C.S. Lewis story about, you know, magic wardrobes that you walk through and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> it's not just some magic portal, right? God God went up to God in the sacrifice. God went up to God in the sacrifice. Surely this was all confusing to Manoah and to his wife. Apparently it was terrifying because they said, we are going to die because we've seen God. Um, But as Manoah's wife pointed out, it probably wasn't God's intention to do them harm. Right? Uh, It wasn't his intention to communicate condemnation. Everything about that visit is good news for them. Look, you've been barren, and you're going to have a baby, right? Um, So, skip forward a few hundred years. uh, We see Jesus come into the world. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's born of this woman uh, who is um, with child miraculously, right? Uh, And we see him, and, and when we see him, we know that he's God, right? You can tell when you're reading the Scriptures It's made very clear for us on every page of the scriptures that he's not just a man. He's more than a man. He's God himself. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us, right? Um, So we see a God of love, a God who is for us, a God who didn't come into the world to interact with us just to condemn us, right, to communicate ill will or disfavor to us. All of that in spite of the fact that we've denied him and his reality and his nature after which we're created in his image, we've denied him with every breath of our self-centered lives. He came into the world, a God of love who is for us. And in Jesus Christ, we have then the the salvation, the rescue from our self-love that we need. And we also see what a human, what a human being is supposed to be, right? What a human being is. We see that Uh, in Jesus Christ, because he's the divine image of God as the Son of God, and he's the divine image of God as uh, the perfect human being who reflects God's image perfectly. So he's got perfect love. He's got true humility. When he gets angry, it's righteous anger, And, um, and he gives his life as pure gift, every drop of it, the perfect sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice, as he pours out his life on the cross. And in all of that, as we look at him and we see, well, this is what a human being is supposed to be. It's more than just a model for us to imitate. Right? It's more than just, hey, there's a, there's a great pattern out there. Let's just copy that. We can't just ask, what would Jesus do? And assume that that's going to be enough. Well, I guess I'll just do that too. Right? Uh, to have God's love materialize in our lives, it's got to be more than just asking well, how did Jesus do it? I'll just copy that, right? Um, we need 
the gospel of Jesus, which is uh, good news for people like us who are not prone to imitate God, We're not prone to look at Jesus and say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be like that. Uh, we need the gospel. We need a new reality created for us. We need to be saved from ourselves, this, this curved inward, this black hole that we've got inside of us that, that um, we've devoted ourselves to ourselves. We need to be delivered from that. There needs to be a deep inner change, um, a transformation. We need to be recreated in the image of this one who's the image of God perfectly. We need to be recreated in Christ's image. So those who are made new in his image, he's the great lover, right? And those who are made new in the image of the great lover, they really can love, really can imitate him. So that's the gospel for us, is that if you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you're made new, right? All kinds of things happen when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're forgiven your sins, and you're made part of the new creation. You're going to live forever and your life in eternity will be characterized by pure love. You will actually love the way that you're supposed to in the new heavens and the new earth. So it says in our passage in, in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, be imitators of God. So in light of this great uh, salvation that we have from our self-centered self uh, through the, the true image of God, uh, Jesus Christ himself, in light of that salvation, be imitators of God as beloved children. You're welcomed into his family as beloved children through Christ. And so walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That picture that Manoah and his wife saw of the angel of the Lord ascending to heaven in the flame of the sacrifice, going up to God, that burnt offering. That, um, in the Hebrew, it can also be called the ascension offering because it's going up. The smoke of it is a pleasing, it's a fragrant aroma to God. Jesus Christ himself, he went up in the flame of the altar, so to say, in our place at the cross when he suffered the disintegration of our uh, chosen trajectory. Right? We chose the trajectory of disintegration when we chose self-centeredness. That's what we chose, and to spare us from that fate, he, he stepped onto the altar and he went up in smoke. Right? That's what he did at the cross as he suffered on our behalf, and his fragrant offering then, because he did that for love. It was pure love that drove him to do it. That was the purest, freest expression of love that the universe has ever known when Jesus Christ took our place at the cross and went up in that flame. Right? Um, that fragrant offering, that self-sacrificial love, it pleased his father. And his father said, yes, that's my son, that reflects my kind of love. That's beautiful. I love that. And so now, uh, as he is inside of us, as he comes to us through his Holy Spirit, who's been given to us, he's poured out his Holy Spirit, his own spirit, into our hearts. Um, as that takes place, we're being shaped into his likeness. We're being made more and more like this great lover. So now we know what it means to be truly human, and we can engage in life and in our relationships from a place of, of a re renewed humanity that we share with Jesus Christ himself by his grace. We can engage in life and relationships and walk in love. So, so Paul says, so be angry and do not sin. Right? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity or foothold, as some of the familiar translations say, um, to the devil. Right? 
So now, as part of the new humanity in Christ, the humanity that's characterized by love and self-gift, you can be angry and do that without sinning. You can be angry um, when it's anger for love's sake. That sounds pretty foreign (laughs) to a lot of us, I know. Anger for the sake of self is what we usually experience. When you get angry, when you get frustrated, hot under the collar, it's because uh, somebody took a stab at me, or they threatened something about me, or my reputation, or my comfort, or my security, or my pleasure, right? Anger for the sake of self, that's sin. But you can be angry and not do that, right? You can be angry without sinning. In Christ, you can get angry even at other people's sin. You can get angry at other people's sin for their sake. Not for how it disturbs your comfort, not for how it interrupts your plans, or uh, even how it threatens your own well-being. Sometimes people's sin threatens severely our own well-being. But that's not why we get angry. We get angry at other people's sin for their sake. When you realize that people are blatantly violating God's will, the God of love, when, uh, <clears throat> when it, they're doing that in a way that's going to end up in their own destruction, their own disintegration, because they've chosen the trajectory of a life of self-centeredness, <clears throat> or you see how they're enslaved to their own stupid desires, it's stupid, those desires that they're enslaved to, or when you see how they're committing great injustices and oppressing other people, <clears throat> then your love can get you angry. Your love can get you angry. And the point is that it would propel you to act. Love is supposed to have its effect in your life and in your relationships. It's propelling you to act. That's the point of it. Not to sit with it and stew on it and let it rot you from the inside out, right? The bitterness that creates distance in relationships. You just get so angry and you're fuming all the time and that bitterness will create distance in your relationships. That's, what the, that's the foothold the devil's looking for, right? Because he's all about relational distance, separating us from God, separating us from each other, right? getting us to focus on ourselves. <clears throat> no. You take care of that anger, that, that love-driven anger, you take care of it that very day. That very day, for the sake of the offender, for the sake of the reconciliation, uh, you're you're supposed to move on that love, uh, on that anger, right? So that's hard work for people who tend to just get frustrated and angry when my freedoms are impinged on or when I don't get my way or when my reputation is on the line and who tend not to care enough about the other to do them the honor, the dignity of, uh, of confronting them in their sin. But that's the hard work of true love, and we are equipped for it by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who loved us, and he gave up all of his rights for us. He gave up all of his freedoms, all of his preferences, all of his comforts. He gave it up for us. So we can do the same for others as our love compels our anger. In verse 28, Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So love, um, love compels you to do more 
than just not taking stuff that doesn't belong to you, right? It seems like a little bit of self-control, a little bit of restraint would be able to enable you to just not take the stuff that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to somebody else. Love does more than that. It compels you in every way to expend your life for others. Not your life and your stuff for, my, for me, but mine for you. That's what love does. It turns things around entirely. And this speaks against um, more than just the simple act of theft, which we all kind of have a basic conception as you secretly steal into somebody's place and take something without them knowing and try to get away with it. That's, uh, that's pretty basic. But it, it, it speaks against all forms of material selfishness, material self-absorption. Uh, from actual theft to um, things like lazy presumption on the generosity of others, manipulating others, uh, and, uh, and greed, right? just pure greed, working for myself. Right? In a sense, that is stealing from God and from your neighbor. Um, we were made for work. We were made to cultivate the whole world for the good of all. So a huge portion of our lives, just thinking of it in terms of pure hours spent in work, a huge portion of our lives should be spent in labor for the sake of other people, for the sake of others. Tim Keller has a quote there uh, at the beginning of the bulletin from his book on uh, work, basically. And he says, Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. Indeed, as Bible scholar Bruce Waltke points out, the Bible says that the very definition of righteous people, the very definition of righteous people, is that they disadvantage themselves to advantage others, while the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. The definition of being a righteous person in the scriptures is one who's willing to disadvantage himself for the sake of others. So advantaging others at our own expense is completely unnatural for selfish people. But as beloved children of God, as those who are saved by Christ, we really can demonstrate the character of God himself in our imitation of him, our, our love, our pouring out our lives to the very last drop, um, not for what I get out of it, but for others. Uh, that kind of love is ours. So Leviticus 19, <clears throat> again, Joe read that in our um, Old Testament reading, says, God says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right? So everything that's true about me, the way that I interact with people in love, pure love, pure love that's so utterly foreign to this world that it's called holiness, right? um, the way that I interact with people is the way that you should interact with people because I'm the Lord your God. How many times did you hear that throughout that chapter as Joe was reading it uh, at the end of some command, for I'm the Lord, for I'm the Lord, right? So uh, we're supposed to imitate God. You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you reap the harvest of your land, reaping the harvest of your land in an agricultural society, that's a big deal. Your whole, your whole year is spent in hard labor. For this, for this very purpose, 
So when you harvest, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. All all the work that goes into your, your plot of land, producing food, for the sake of your family, right, to be able to feed the mouths in your household, it's a good reason why you're, you're doing hard work to take care of those who are closest to you. You're also going to do that hard work, and you're going to leave some of the fruits of it for other people. Right? You're going to leave actually quite a bit of the fruit of your hard labor for other people, uh, because that's what it means to imitate God. Right? All of his work is for the sake of other people. It's not just some token. Right? Not just 10%, not just some small, not just the edge, the, the periphery, the boundary of the work that he does, the heart of his work that you see at the cross. He gives his whole life for the sake of others, to, to advantage them. He disadvantaged himself completely. So that means that we do hard work, and others enjoy the benefits, right? whether that means supporting our families or giving to the church generosity of the poor, what have you. Um, there's a sense in which the whole point of your life as someone who's created in God's image and, and being recreated in that image through your salvation, through your connection to Jesus, the whole point of your life is generosity. It's living for others, not for yourself. It's gifts given. It's, it's love. Not in search of redemption, but because of the great redemption. Um, as a participation in the life and the new humanity of Jesus Christ himself. So imitate your God and your Father and your Savior. Walk in love, pouring out your life for others as Christ did for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, increasingly grant us a sense of who you are, that you are the God who is love, that you would fill our vision with your love that's seen so clearly in Jesus Christ because he is God and because he's the perfect human being created in God's image, living the life that that we're all meant to live. And he lived that life for us. He spent it for us. He gave it for us, all for love's sake. And we pray that that gospel, the renewal of relationship that we have with you, the complete restoration, the complete reconciliation that we have as a pure gift of your grace, We pray that that would uh, take its root in our lives, that the devil would have no foothold or opportunity in our lives, but that you and your Holy Spirit would saturate our lives with the likeness of Christ himself, that you would cause us to walk in love, uh, fragrant offering to God and pleasing to God, even as uh, Jesus Christ was a pure and perfect sacrifice of love. We pray that you would help us to imitate Christ because... uh, it's not just for our own sake that you, uh, that you would do such a thing. It's for the sake of those around us because we want them to know what kind of God you are who can take a, a purely self-centered people and transform us into the likeness of Christ himself, the great lover. We pray that you would do that for the sake of your kingdom going forth so that your name would be known in all of our relationships through our self-sacrificial love. Uh, would you help us to testify to the gospel through that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.